Today's podcast is brought to you by 13 Star Designs. 13 Star Designs is a unique vinyl and embroidery shop featuring seasonal designs, spooky gifts, and of course, their signature item, the world-famous dick mark. The first ever penis-shaped bookmark. They sell wreaths and blankets and towels and all sorts of cool and weird stuff. Even bookmarks shaped like bookmarks, if you can even imagine. Check them out at facebook.com slash 13stardesigns and find something perfectly strange for that strangely perfect person in your life. That's facebook.com slash 13, all spelled out, star designs. track with today's episode of the podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault a read-along pod where we dig into the good the great and the problematic of the dresden files series by jim butcher i am a long time dresden dresden dresdening guy and this is my first time through and together, we dive back into the mainline novel series after a quick couple weeks sojourn. And I could not be more delighted about it. How are you doing today, Ice? I'm doing all right. I'm just tired. I agree. I am tired, too, all the time. Did you know they don't have sunshine in Washington? <laughs> Probably not in the winter. Yeah, but I'm sitting here looking out on a glorious, beautiful visage of Lake Washington, Lake Washington, as they say up here, probably. I still am not in an apartment of my own, so I'm slumming it in an absurd, absurd lake house in Bellevue, Washington. So holler at me, Bellevue. <laughs> you had hostessing duties this week. I did. Our mom came up and visited me. So we did a little Christmas in San Jose, Christmas in San Francisco adventure. Oh, delightful. That was quite I've nice. lived in Washington for like two days and she hasn't visited me once. The it's nerve. Awesome. She must like you better than me. Well, obviously we knew that. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I, uh, I'm drinking hot spiced red wine. Very excited about that because it's cold outside. It's not cold in the house. That's good. But it's cold outside. So I took off my pants. I'm still wearing shorts. I took off my pants okay. and I'm dr drinking hot wine, looking out at a cold lake. Oh, lovely. And my apartment's always cold, so. And it's very hot, very hot wine. Oh, goodness gracious me. But oh, yeah. Good times. Exciting. We are back on the actual novel series today. Like I said, I'm in a home. I'm in a house, not a home. Uh, <laughs> it's probably somebody's home, but it's not mine. So it's a little bit echoey, I fear, and that's just how we're going to have to be because this is where I'm at. You don't got a normal setup, and that's okay. Not quite yet. I am going to move into my new apartment 
So the reason I'm not in an apartment yet is on the way up here, we uh, got, we being me and my boss of factor, got into a two-bedroom. I was just hoping for a one-bedroom, but it sounds oh, wow. like it's a two-bedroom townhouse. That's exciting. As opposed to the um, the studio they had for me at first that even me, you guys know me well enough at this point to know I can deal with just about anything. And I said, yeah, no, I don't want to do the studio. So it was the exact shape, size, and dimensions of a Kia Optima. <laughs> and I figured I didn't want to live there for too long. So we have a much larger, nicer home coming at me in a couple days here. So cool. again, yet another excuse why this podcast may or may not be late coming out. I don't have a space to do stuff. But as it is, we soldier on. Uh, we've took a couple breaks off of the novel series itself. We did some short stories, which we enjoyed uh -huh. immensely. Certainly uh, something we're going to come back to and do again here on the podcast was on fire. It was my fault. But yeah, anything else here before we get into it? You are we starting back on a normal service. So we have uh -huh. a, an, odd, an odd chapter, which means I'm up first, but you have to set the scene, especially a couple weeks out. I have nobody, myself included, has any idea what's happening. <laughs> okay, so let's see. The beginning of the book, I witnessed some execution warden style. And then he is approached by Molly, who lies to him about a friend saying that she was arrested. He helps his friend get out. And we learn that the boyfriend are working at a horror movie convention. And we also learn that there are these things called bobophages, where they are being drawn from the other dimension, the other world, to prey on people with their greatest fears. And in this case and scenario, they are appearing as horror movie villains. Several people have died. Harry has figured out a spell to send the phobophages back to their beckoner. And at the very end of the last section, he has set up his situation and he has, and the, and the uh, mayhem begins. The spell begins. Indeed, indeed. Harry had set up a web to catch all these nefarious ne'er-do-wellers. And he realizes right away kind of that he had done something wrong, or at least he was terrified that he had made a critical mistake. But as it turns out, he basically had. He, he collected all of the Phobophage's spare one. And unfortunately, that one is a powerful magical creature <laughs> preying on, looking to prey on fear at a horror movie convention full of fearful children. There's a great interaction right off the right off the bat with Bob, where he's he says he wants to curl into a fetal position and go into a coma, but obviously instead he has to go to work. He opens a drawer to grab Bob, and Bob says, "Did it work? Almost. There's one left. Keep your head down." Oh, very funny. <laughs> I'm a sucker for bad puns. <laughs> he throws Bob into this back into the backpack rather, and he heads downstairs. You know, based on all the exhaustion and head trauma. The blunt force trauma to his skull he's been through so far, this novel, he decides he'd rather chance the elevator, and he does, and he just makes it downstairs when the power goes out and blackness falls over the hotel. He obviously does what wizards do in these scenarios, and he takes out his pentacle amulet, sends enough will into it to get a pale blue glow 
So there's some light at the very least. He has to physically lever open the elevator doors, but he does so with a plum as the expert that he tends to be. You know, we mentioned earlier how basically the air conditioners just could not keep up with the sheer mass of people involved. And so it had been hot as balls all day long. And now the sun had set. But as he gets through this crowd of people and starts to head towards, you know, the bulk of the screaming, the temperature plummets from near sauna to near freezing, as he describes it, in a handful of seconds, which generally speaking is evidence of something spooky. Right? We've seen that in the past where things get really cold. Oftentimes we see it with the winter fay, mm -hmm. but whenever there's a big temperature change really quickly, either there's a fire somewhere or there's a bad guy. <laughs> it's pretty much the only two reasons why that might be happening. And as the physics of this whole thing happen, that tends to create fog out of nowhere. And as Harry describes it again, it cuts the visibility down to three or four steps, which is a problem. <laughs> he, he says that wizard. Wizards tend to do their business from across the street or down the block or maybe from a neighboring dimension, whereas okay. these phages have been specialists in up and close violence. He gets a shield bracelet ready to rock. And I love this attention to detail here where he has we've seen that he's recrafted a blasting rod, right? Because we knew that was broken in blood rites and he didn't have it last novel. But now he has the blasting rod again. He brought it up earlier. So he means he's re remade it. He has not recrafted his shield bracelet, mm -hmm. which I think is as much an emotional thing as it is a physical challenge. I thought you mentioned that he couldn't because his left hand is so fucked up that he can't really quite do it. Maybe. And again, from an unreli unreliable narrator, I, I, I don't recall that line, but that's mostly because I'm dumb and unclever. Un, un as clever? There's the word. That's the phrasing I meant. Unas clever as my sister. But I also think it's kind of bullshit. I, I think that's more he likes the trauma. Not just like the trauma, obviously, but he kind of like is comfortable with the trauma of the fire and the melted ass shield bracelet, I think, gives him some measure of comfort, if that makes sense. I could be off base, but that's just how I, I I just feel like it's something he could do, but hasn't for a reason that even he wouldn't be able to vocalize. But the shield bracelet is already, you know, it's, it's still melted and charred and gross. Mm -hmm. And I like that he says, you know, he unintentionally brings up a second source of light when he brings it out because it has been spraying out blue sparks for years since, since every time he adds power to it, which not only is a cool visit, you know, image, you know, we talk about how cinematic this series is. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really cool image of his wizard light on his chest and then the blue sparks coming out of his left hand or his left wrist rather. But also nothing's free in this world or the next, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's in Harry's world or ours, nothing comes free. So that means that there's energy bleeding out, right? All those sparks are just excess energy that he's not able to shape the way he wants and needs to. So I just think that's interesting that he's okay wasting power basically so that he doesn't really have to think about the burn and the, yeah. that traumatic injury. He'd rather not think about it so much that he's going to waste a little bit, a little bit. I mean, how much are a couple of sparks compared to what Harry fucking Dresden can do? But it's, it just seemed interesting to me. It kind of stood out as like, 
that's how how terrified he is of going back and really examining that trauma. But also remember how long it took him to be able to do just do a fuego spell. It took him over a year. Oh, even Flickumbicus. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, so that's kind of one of the it's not a huge surprise, but you know, he is progressing very, very slowly. Absolutely. I just think it, it's just a, another kind of talisman, a reminder of what he's been through. And I think I, I do, you know, he's he's a bit of a whiner. I say that as me. <laughs> Again, like the deeper we get into this, the more and more I realize why sometimes I don't like Harry is because I see that asshole in the mirror. But um, I love Harry. But like, I, I think he likes having that kind of dazzling reminder of what he's been through not likes as in like it makes him happy but kind of gives him some kind of like comfort i don't know i couldn't very well be reaching there or projecting but i just i think there's something to that for sure and we see as he's creeping forward you know all the screaming and he steps on you know he steps on somebody's fingers as he's going through here there's, there's clearly some carnage Which is such like, but stepping on someone's fingers is one of the is awful yeah and I love the description, how like you, you, you know, you do it where like you step on it and then you like try to not mm -hmm. like, and it throws off your weight because you don't want to hurt him. I love that quick description there. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And we see a woman light up a cigarette lighter. Obviously, she's struggling and in this moment wants some sort of chemical relief for what she's going through. Well, and she's she's doing it to help someone. Is she? Yeah, she's leaning she over just... someone to help someone. Oh, I thought she was just lighting a cigarette. Mm -mm. Oh. No, she's leaning to help somebody. There's a lot of a... words in this chapter. Put the light and... out! Yeah, no, I saw him put the, say put the light out. There's just so many words. And you know how, like, words are hard for, like, brains to read and put into thought? <laughs> a flame suddenly appeared ahead of me, and I got a look at a young woman who crouched down, holding up a cigarette, light cigarette lighter in a hand that shook so badly that it seemed a miracle the lighter stayed aflame. I think she's like leaning up. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Okay. I don't feel as bad. I, I feel like maybe she's just lighting up a cig, which is okay. You do you. But yeah, no, I don't. Certainly helping is. people is better than smoking cigarettes. I, I don't see a ton of evidence otherwise. <laughs> Either way, he recognizes that it's a problem. And we've seen this before where the Tigress was employing that same strategy where you wait till somebody turns on a light and then you're a target. That's how Meryl got popped many, many novels ago. He recognized it says, put out the light. And as her face swivels towards me, ghostly in the light of the tiny flame, her mouth worked soundlessly. And then something the size of a mountain lion hit her across the shoulders and flung her to the ground. The lighter flew from her hand, the little lick of flame showing me something black and gleaming and spattered scarlet gold. He just does carnage so well jim butcher does <laughs> he really really does i mean it's not even a gory you know i mean he literally says scarlet gory the last two words there but it's it, just like something black and gleaming it just i love every part of it and the woman screams you know obviously and that's when he steps on the fingers all this stuff so he actually gets out his staff and we've seen in the past where he adds even just regular power but certainly when he throws hellfire into it we get all the runes light up and the sulfury smoke coming out of them. But he does that to use it as a light source as much as anything, which I thought was really cool. So he had the staff and his necklace, both as sources of illumination here, which is just kind of, again, 
kind of framing the shot in a really interesting manner, kind of the red smoky light and then the blue light. <laughs> and he gives us first hint to what type of character this is. He describes it a little bit in feline and insect, which is kind of cool. And this is his first crack at not getting a lawsuit, doing his best to get as close to, but not getting a lawsuit. He doesn't actually name the creature, but he says, get away from her, you bitch, which is great. And followed up by, is this going to be a stand-up fight or just another bug hunt? Which are both lines from a hit film by Mr. Cameron. And I texted Lissy to see if she had picked up on it. I didn't the first couple times I read it. But probably by the third or fourth time I, I read it, I realized... It's Alien, right? It's the Xenomorph from Alien, okay. absolutely. Because when I, when I saw Stay Away From Her, You Bitch, my, in my head, it was the dog creature from Ghostbusters. Because Vankman calls... I think it's Vankman calls her a bitch, too, in that form. But then you said at the bug hunt, I was like, oh, wait. Oh, I was wrong. I love it. That's mm -hmm, great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, if you, if you like knowing those two lines and putting it together where he talks about the feline, the size of a bobcat, the feline or mountain lion, the feline and insectoid, the description of the jaws and stuff. It's very clearly talking about the alien, which mm -hmm. I love. And it's just a fun Easter egg that doesn't change the story. This could be hammer hands here. Right. And it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It just adds a layer of like fun <laughs> for the reader. I think that might be Bill Paxton. The, uh, the bug hunt line is Bill Paxton, which ah. R.I.P. And uh, he's a wonderful character actor. Is that fair to call him a character actor? I think he is. He's a leading man in plenty of stuff, but uh, great actor. I do love that whole fight. And, and there is a moment during the fight where the Phobophage tries to run and Harry uses the most, the single most powerful Forzare spell we've seen yet in this series, which is just infused with so much hellfire that the cannonball of force, which we hear him kind of describe it like that regularly, is a blazing scarlet comet in this case. Yeah. Blast through the phage, you know, bounces around. It's bouncing and skittering frantically like a half smashed bug. I love that imagery as well. And he goes up and actually just smashes it with his, you know, with his power and the yellowish liquid splattering out, which is, as we know, highly acidic as per the movies, Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, etc. At all, if you will. I'm trying to think of Get Away From Where You Bitch. That is definitely Aliens as well. I think they're all... actually seen that whole movie. I know I've told you this before. I don't know if I've told the pod, but one of my favorite South Park lines, which is very hard to pick, but it talking it says that James Cameron doesn't do what James Cameron does for James Cameron. Mm -hmm. James Cameron does what James Cameron does because he is James Cameron. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> I think that's actually true. Yeah. I think he just can't keep it inside and he has to get it out. <laughs> I love that line. But yes. Aliens is incredible in a very different way from Alien. Mm -hmm. they, and I love, I love this idea. I've talked about this before about what I want to see more than anything is a buddy cop comedy in the Star Wars universe. 
Like it's one of my goals in life is to see just like two corset sec bros like broing it out. Like every movie in a series doesn't have to have the same like feel no. and the same tension. Like Alien is a horror movie. It's also the first R-rated film I ever saw, and I think I was probably nine years old. <laughs> Me and Covey, Covey spent the night. We were like creeping down the steps and we like mom was watching it one morning probably baking or something we like sat high up on the steps and like slowly crept lower and lower and lower probably gave us years worth of therapy needing great film but alien is like literally the tagline is in space no one can hear you scream aliens an incredible incredible horror film aliens is an action movie which is interesting that he uses all the aliens lines but does not matter. It's neither here nor there. But I, I, I love Aliens and Alien, but they're very different films. And it's actually, I think, a really cool way to do a sequel. Takes, you know, something you, you know about and then shift it, shake it up a little bit. You know? Appreciate that a lot. Not that it's not scary. Certainly yeah. it has some horror aspects, but it's very much an 80s action movie. Whereas Alien is a fucking terrifying nightmare of a science fiction film. Yeah. Either way. He finishes up the fight. Obviously, the good guys win because why wouldn't they? And he loses track of several seconds, which I think is important here. He's talked about his fatigue and his head injuries. And what he's not talking about is Lashiel's impact on him and how potentially damaging it was, I think, to him using that much hellfire. Yeah. It's not something they say outright, but I think. I think that affects him. You know, he even says, I hadn't used quite that much Hellfire before. And then two paragraphs later, he lost track of several seconds. I think there's a connection to those two lines for whatever that's worth. Really? Right. But, just, I, I, go ahead. But he's had several fight scenes, I guess you could call, where Lashio wasn't involved. So, well, anytime he uses the, sorry, the only time he uses Hellfire, that's always connected to Lashio. Yeah, it is. But every time he uses it, he doesn't mention her. So I didn't even catch that at all. Yeah, no, I, I don't think he mentioned her here either. I was just thinking about how, again, we, we know what, how he talks a lot about what magic means and how it affects you and stuff. I'm just trying to keep an eye on what using that type of magic that is literally called Hellfire, right? Like, what is that? How does that affect him? And that's just kind of one of those things I have in the back of my head. Every time he uses it, I want to see the effects, right? Because nothing comes for free. And I'm just wondering what the cost is for the Hellfire. If that makes sense? That's yeah, I know. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any profound thoughts on it. But like, he's been tired before. But just that phrasing, like he lost track of several seconds. See, it just jumped out at me a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's the only way to be sure. And he smashes it which I believe is another line from Aliens. It's interesting. He describes the smell as hellish wood smoke instead of mm -hmm. sulfur or brimstone, which he's described it as before. Almost like he's just becoming more accustomed to it. Or less sulfuric to him because now it's no longer he's pulling it from hell. It's being gifted to him. What always has been. But this is a more an acceptance of the gift rather than it's being forced. I feel like there's like a level of differentiation there. It is important that it was never forced, right? I mean, like he no. always like that. And that's part of the problem with it that he touches on later in this novel 
I think in this chunk actually, right, where he's sitting, where he's talking about how even the even the simple, easy, correct, straightforward gifts of Lashiel are potentially damaging down the road. Mm-hmm. This is a version of that where like it all it is is just adding a little juice to his power. But again, nothing ever comes for free. Yeah. And so like little bits of his soul are almost being exchanged. Not literally, not not like it's actually trading, but just he's getting he's getting in deeper and deeper. Well, and there's probably some transactionary element is that if that's even a word i don't think transactionary is but any some sort of uh, yeah, transa- transactional element sure. with him and lashio and him and you know basically kind of a hell sort of yeah escape i don't know like it's it's there's got to be some level of transactional exactly and that's kind of what i'm trying to like touch on here these, here, yeah. these little lines that don't seem to be a whole lot like super impactful but it's just Again, every little bit counts is kind of what Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think at. But Murphy and Rollins come up and they realize, you know, how crazy the situation is. He wants Murphy to check on the girl with the lighter that he ran past. And she's gone. You know, she's dead. And Harry has to go through it and think, like, was she still alive when the phage tried to run? Did I exchange her life for vengeance, basically? So that I could smash this bug is did, could I have let the phage go and saved this woman? But I think the other side of it is, is that he he did this. He chased the phage to stop other people from dying, too, because he thought she was OK. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty charitable reading about it, a reading of it, rather. I think. It was trying to go home and he wanted to beat its ass before it did. And he, I think that's his take on it as well. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's right. right? We, he never gives himself enough credit. So you're, you're probably right that it did save lives. But who knows? Because again, I, he didn't kill this. thing. All he did was give himself some catharsis and stopped it from doing any more damage on this trip to our world. Right. I mean, it's a creature of fairy. It's not dead. No, it's not dead. He destroyed its vessel. But that's the thing. But there's everybody's in danger. His whole goal is to stop everybody from being axed. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Murphy has to go deal with the suits because as Rollins, you know, puts it, somebody's ass. So they got to get take somebody's ass down for this. And it very well might be her. Harry does a funny little jedi mind trick on green who's mad at rollins for still being there right he sent rollins away and uh harry just tells him this isn't rollins he can you can go about your business move along because green has a concussion and he's just like what the fuck (laughs) which i love which is also a callback to rollins earlier referenced you know somebody got past somebody had gotten past me they'd have to they'd been a jedi knight or something which was a line he said earlier. Just a good little uh, connection there. Um, which is more than anything. I mean, no, everyone understands the reference, but just understands that like Rollins definitely very much appreciated <laughs> beyond him doing in the solid and distracting green. Also the specific reference. Um, yeah, you could tell a lot about people by how they interact with the things that other people like, right? They head out to Rollins's car to try to figure out where these other phages went. And Mouse starts 
making noise. And whenever whenever mouse makes noise, bad things are afoot. And he slams into Harry's thigh and bumps him into Rollins's car to get him out of the way of a van, which means it missed him by six inches less than, but it didn't miss mouse. There was a meaty sound. The dog let out a ball of pain, brakes screeched, and Lissy furiously texted her brother. Yes, yes, she did. <laughs> I love that immediately he's got hellfire coming out of his staff mm-hmm. like, without a doubt. But before he can do anything, he sees Darby Crane swinging a tire iron. As he's falling to the ground with stars exploding, he sees a motionless mouse on the concrete 30 feet away. And Glau is standing there with a, a gun on raw. Fade to black in multiple ways. Yeah. And I believe this is when I texted you, Harry's got to have CTE at some point here. (laughs) Uh, So Harry comes to, his mouth is blocked by some kind of gag. He's got something over his head, a blindfold of some sort. And he said, I'm pretty sure any light that got into my eyes would hurt like hell. And then he goes through his sense. He tastes metal. He is blind to the, any light out of it because of the blindfold. He smells the scents of old motor motor oil, gasoline vapors, dust, something metallic and elusively familiar. I knew the smell, but I couldn't place it. And then he feels the cold, hard surface that he's laying on. And he has thorn manacles around his wrist. They were meant, along with gag and blindfold, to keep me from using my magic. If I tried focusing my will, they would bite and freeze. I didn't know where the damn things came from, but Crane wasn't the first bad guy I'd met who kept a pair on hand. Maybe there'd been a sale. (laughs) I really liked that. And, you know, and he talks about the the possible origins of it and and possibly the Red Corps, possibly Nicodemus. And he said, hell, if I was in the Red Corps, I'd be giving the things away like Halloween candy. It was a scary notion. And for me, and for more than one reason. I was in trouble up to my eyebrows. My nausea was severe enough that it took me several minutes of effort to care. Come on, Harry. You aren't fighting your way clear of this. Use your head. For starters, I was still alive, and that told me something all by itself. If Crane had wanted to kill me, he'd had all the time he would need to do it. He wouldn't even have to worry about the death curse a wizard could lay down on his enemies on his way into the hereafter. Unconscious wizards can't throw curses. <laughs> I was still breathing, which meant I swallowed, which meant that he had other plans for me. It did not seem like a promising way to begin thinking my way clear. And he tries to say Rollins' name, but his tongue is clamped. Rollins understands what he's saying, though, impressively enough. And Rollins is cuffed to the wall with his own damn cuffs. And they took his keys. He asks Rollins where they are, and Rollins says, Looks like an old auto workshop. Abandoned. Metal walls. Windows are painted over. Doors changed shut. Lots and lots of of cobwebs. The light? Big old shop lamp. Anyone here? Rollins asks. Creepy little guy with fish lips. He won't talk to me, even when I ask pretty please. He's sitting in a chair about three feet from you, pretending he's a guard dog. And Harry figures it's Glau. Glau had been driving the van. Glau had killed my dog. Without consciously making the effort, I found myself reaching for my magic for fire enough to cremate the little toad. 
the manacles became a frozen agony that wiped anything resembling thought from my head. Wait, I promised my anger. Wait. I need to think for now, to get clear of my captors. A door creaks open and footsteps approach, and then we hear Crane. Awake, I see Dresden. Your head must be as hard as everyone says. Mr. Glau, if you would be so kind. So the hood is the hood is removed, along with the mouthpiece that was holding his tongue. He's laying on this floor looking at the ceiling, an ugly forlorn-looking auto shop. The nagging sense of familiarity increased. The only doors leading out were chained shut and padlocked on the inside, and no keys in sight. He sees Crane, he sees Rollin, and Rollins has a severe bruise that even on his dark skin showed one cheek covered entirely. Rollins looked calm, remote, and unafraid. I was fairly, fairly sure it was only an act, but if so, it was a good one. So he asked Crane what he wants, and Crane says to build the future. Networking is very important in my business. Cut, <laughs> cut the crap and talk. You would be wise not to anger me, wizard. You're hardly in a position to make demands. If you were going to kill me, you'd have already done it. I suppose that's true enough. I was going to finish you and drop you in the lake, but... Imagine my surprise when I made some calls and it turns out that you're infamous, tough, good dancer, <laughs> marketable. For an insignificant young man, you've managed to irritate a great many people. And then we learn that Crane has a little bit of an auction going on. So Crane says to Harry, you're smart enough to know when you are powerless, at least in my experience. Most wizards are fairly cowardly when push comes to shove. In my experience, I replied, gaze unwavering. People who have underestimated me regretted it. I didn't feel like being drawn into a soul gaze with Crane, but I had little to lose. If nothing else, it might provide me with some valuable insight into his character. Crane's nerve broke first. So he turns away and pretends he's got a call. And I love that too. Uh-huh. That Crane broke first. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Glau's sitting there, and he Harry sees he's got a gun in his lap and a briefcase on the floor beside him. You, I said. Glau looked at me without any readable expression. You killed my dog. Get your affairs in order. An idle threat. You will not live to see the dawn. You'd best hope I do. Because if I go down, I know where my death curse is going. <laughs> Fuck yeah. And so Glau... His lips peeled back from his teeth, and I swear to God that they were pointed, not like a vampire's fangs or a ghoul's canines, but in the solid serrated triangles, like a shark. He rose, the gun twitching in his hand. And Crane says, keep your tongue in your mouth, wizard. Or what? You'll kill me? From where I'm standing, that isn't the worst-case scenario. True. He pulls a gun out and shoots Rollins in the foot. Crane regarded Rollins for a minute, smiled, and then pointed the gun at the cop's head. No, I shouted. It's entirely up to you, wizard, whether or not his children lose their father. Behave. We'll all be happier. So he's definitely using Harry's instinct to care for other people, to protect others against him, which we've seen before. This isn't the first, this isn't our first rodeo. <laughs> Harry has to remind himself patience, calm, rational. I was going to have to discourage Crane from this tactic with extreme prejudice as a deterrent to future weasels. But not yet. Keep him talking. So Harry tells Crane he understands. Crane's being busy on the phone. 
he asks Rollins how long they've been there. An hour, an hour and a half. And Rollins tells Harry that he tore open the stitches on his arm and his foot doesn't look like it's bleeding that much. Hang in there, I said. We'll get out of here. Bull, Rollins said. If you can get out, you should. Once he gets what he wants, he's going to kill me anyway. Don't stay on my account. You're siphoning my noble hero vibe. <laughs> Cease and desist or I'll sue. Rollins tried to smile, then leaned against the wall. He's bleeding. And Crane says to Blau, start building more tax shelters. This is going rather well. Yeah, so who's going to pony up for one Harry Dresden slightly used? I'm holding an auction as we speak. A rather energetic one. Yeah, who's leading? Why, Paolo Ortega's widow, Duchess Ariana of the Red Court. I suddenly felt cold all over. We know what happened with Paolo Ortega. We know that Harry has previously been held with the Red Court, and they're scary fuckers. She'll be quite creative when it comes to dealing with her husband's bane. I don't blame you for feeling terrified. Who wouldn't? Hey, I told him, grasping at Charles, call the White Council. If nothing else, maybe they'll run the bidding up for you. I already have. Yeah? What did they say? That the White Council's unyielding policy is one of non-negotiations with terrorists. Hope's corpse went through some post-mortem twitching. His phone buzzes again and he tells Glau to get on the computer. Eh, this is one of the best parts of this entire book so far. Glau, get on the computer. The auction is closing in five seconds and there's always a last second rush. We'll need to verify an account. He turned back to the phone. No, unacceptable. A numbered account only. I don't trust those people at PayPal. Hey, I protested. Are you selling me on eBay? <laughs> Ironic, eh? Though I confess a bit of a surprise. How do you know what it is? I read. And Glau says, you know, he tells Glau to get on the computer. Glau said he shouldn't be unwatched. Watched and Crane says, I can see them move. So Crane is standing across the room, watching them in the dark, where there's the only light is at one shop light. And Harry is a little bit desperate. I had found ways out of desperate streets before. Of course, I'd had my magic available then. Damn those manacles. As long as I kept my power constrained, I would never be able to free myself or Rollins. So, moron, I thought to myself, get rid of the manacles, get around them, do something. It's your only ch chance. And he accidentally talks out loud about I don't know a damn thing about them. Rollins blinked at me. I grimaced, shook my head, and closed my eyes. And then he calls for Lashio. I seek counsel. I am here, my host. She now has dressed in the same outfit, but she has long, gold, long auburn hair rather than golden hair. <laughs> you changed your hair. Just like you, Liz, everybody wants to be a ginger sometimes. There are too many blondes in your life, my host. I feared I would be lost in the press. The manacles, do you know of them? Indeed, my host. And she tells us that they were made of trollsmiths of the unseelie court thousands of years ago. They are, she confirms, they are, in fact, fairy made. I was dimly aware in my surprise that I had spoken the words aloud. I clenched my physical jaw shut and focused on the image me, briefly wondering just how badly cracked my engine block was going to get by trying to keep track of my own personal internal reality, in addition to the actual threatening reality where Walt Rollins and I were in deep trouble. For a minute, I thought about abandoning the wizarding biz and taking up a career that would let me crawl under rocks and hide professionally. Lashiel says he does not need to separate his inner self from his physical self. And she said, I would be happy. I should be happy to advise you from the outside, so to speak. Uh, no, I've got problems enough without adding sentient hallucination to the mix. 
And soup you are, I take it, seeking a way to overcome the bindings of the thorn manacles. He says, can it be done? All things are possible, though some of them are unlikely. <laughs> and so she says, they are crafting a fairy make, my host. Seek that which is bane to they who made it. Iron and sunlight. Trolls can't stand either. Sunlight's out of town for a few hours, but we've got lots and lots of iron in here. Rollins has a free hand. If I get a tool to him, maybe he could shatter a link of the manacles chain. Then I could break his cuffs or something. Point of logic. Given that you are not free to retrieve a tool, getting one to Rollins seems problematic. In addition, you are exhausted, and it is reasonable to assume that Crane will finish his negotiations shortly and turn you over to one of your foes. You have ins insufficient time to recover your strength. You have in the past expressed much frustration and doubt that your control of physical forces was precise enough to break handcuffs without breaking the person held in them. The only egress from this place is chained shut, and you do not have a key. And finally, lest you forget, you are being guarded by at least one supernatural being who will hardly stand gawking while you attempt escape. Anyone ever told you that you have a very negative attitude? <laughs> Which isn't helpful. But your ass is as deep in alligators as mine, and you want to help. So, you can offer me another option. Very good. I don't want it. Why ever not? Because a freaking falling angel is offering it, and that's why ever not. You're poison lady, and don't think I don't know it. And she says, I only ask that you hear me out. If I let her talk to me, Lashia would propose something calm and sane and reasonable and effective. It would require a small piece of me, if nothing else, by making me a tiny bit more dependent upon her advice and assistance. Whatever happened, she'd gain another smidgen of influence over me. Baby steps on the highway to hell. It came down to this. If I didn't hear her out and didn't get out of this mess, Rollins' blood would be on my hands. And whoever was behind the slaughter around the convention might, well, keep right on escalating. More people would die. Lashiel watched me with patient blue eyes. All right, I told her. Let's hear it. Lashiel is one of my favorite characters, I think. Hmm. We plotted the fallen angel and me. Fallen angel and I, Harry. But I digress. It went fast. Finally, Grandma Lois has a reason to look down and smile at me. <laughs> you gotta bear with me, people. <laughs> Turns out that holding an all-mental conversation gets things done at the literal speed of thought without all those clunky phonies get to get in the way, which I enjoyed. You know, barely a minute had passed. And I love, again, you know, I talk about this all the time, ad nauseum, etc., 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 where he said, you know, that one line out loud but mostly, the last thing that happened here moments ago was Rollins said, you know, they'll kill me. If you have an opportunity to get out of here, get out of here, right? And then we have these flowery paragraphs between there and now. And Harry says, you're right. They'll kill you. We have to get out of here, right? But for us, it's been a while. But for Harry and Rollins, it was just, you know, the blink of an eye. It's just funny to think about, have I sent you the link to... Charlie something, but where it's AI, Qui-Gon, and Obi-Wan watching back old Star Wars? I don't think so. Oh my god. It's my new favorite show on television, and it's not a show, nor is it on television. It's um, Charlie Hopkins, or I don't know the guy's name, but it's Qui-Gon reacts to stuff is basically what happens, and he's like a blue force ghost. Yeah. And Obi-Wan is, see, but they're sitting on a couch watching Star Wars. Nice. And it is like so fucking hilarious this this dude 
Charlie something needs to make all the money, uh, like all the money immediately. The mouse will probably come after him, but still it's really, it's, it's really great. I don't remember why I brought that up. There was a thought it was connected to a thought I had here, but Oh, I was just watching them talk about Phantom Menace. And there's a part where like in the middle of a sentence, Anakin and Padme are walking and they, the net, like the reply to that sentence is in a totally different hallway. And it's always bothered me as someone who watches it, but they just make it hilarious. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. I digress from the digression to the digression. The people in charge of the sacking have been sacked. Rollins asks him, how? And he tries to sit up and get some blood flowing through his arms. He basically says what he's going to do. I'm going to slip one of these manacles off my wrist and then he'll be able to cut them both out. <laughs> Rollins is like, those two going to stand there watching while you do all that? I'll do it fat. <laughs> then what? I kill the lights and we get out. Doors chain shut. Let me worry about that. Rollins says, Goodness. why not? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Which I enjoy. Basically, they're like, you know. Sure. Uh, you know, let's just go. Why yeah. the hell fucking Maybe. not? Well, it's like, it may, reminded me think of the uh, Murphy with the Shelly Cobbs last week. It's like, they're Shelly Cobbs. Whatever. You know, what's next? It's kind of a similar energy where Rollins just very straightforward cop energy of sure. All right, you do that. I'll be ready for my part. You know, like, whatever the fuck you're going to do with these bells and whistles and fireworks, you do it. I'll do my part. Just shut the, just, just let me focus on this, which is another thing he brings up later. Or was that, did he already say that where it's like, Christ, demons, like, like, nope, nope, let me worry about it. <laughs> let me focus on this. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You know, so he references when they were in the hotel. Yeah, he told him that. Yeah, exactly. But he references Eastern snake charmers, yogis, where they can they spend a lifetime learning to control their body and like fold themselves into a gym bag and sit at the bottom of a pool for a half hour. Basically, some of the same ideas. So what Harry does is he uses Lashiel's instructions to basically reshape the bones in his hand, not defying the laws of physics, but kind of just defying the laws of human excruciation. He, he can basically the, the pain of reshaping his hand, he's able to not ignore and he still feels it, but he can make it happen basically. And I think part of that is Lashiel. Part of that is just Harry being a stubborn mule and having this experience of dealing with pain. But knowing that in this moment, this is the only way to get Rollins out. And I do mean that it's not about him and Rollins. This is the only way to save Rollins life right now. And so he's going to maim the fuck out of his hand further. And he does. He basically pops things out of place and all sorts of gross things that I do not want to think about. So I'm going to move on to the next paragraph. And Lashiel kind of walks him through it, basically. And she helps him deal with the pain a little bit. And I do love the back and forth where, like, she's like, <laughs> his phrasing. Apparently, nerve damage from burns doesn't stop you from feeling it. When someone pulls your fingers out of their sockets, <laughs> someone, Lashiel said, you did it to yourself, my host. <laughs> <laughs> Would you back off and give me room to work? That's ridiculous. And again, we see this back and forth with Lashiel and Harry where 
no matter how ridiculous the things he says are vis-a-vis the seatbelt or giving him space, like he, there, you have all. She, you, there, she's inside your head, bro. <laughs> exactly. But she backs off, right? She, she does. puts on the seatbelt earlier. Like she works with him and his neuroses. Which yeah. Is just a very clever for her working towards her own goals, but also just shows an understanding of Harry and what Harry needs. Uh, yeah, I'm on Team Lashiel, and I have been since the start. But like, she, this is what a good friend would, how a good friend would deal with this, also, right? Like Murphy would give him shit and then take a step back. Yeah, she would do a lot of these things the same way that Lashiel is. Very much so. So I, I, again, I yeah, fallen angel, yada yada, trying to take over his soul, yada yada. But in my mind, I like yet Lashiel. She is an ally. She's proven herself to be a useful tool. She's got a, some, you know, some edge to her, but who doesn't have a dark side ice? Hit. All I'm saying, all I'm saying. He ends up, you know, manipulating his hand and slipping it through the cuff, folding his hand in a way that is utterly alien. And he's, you know, this is the absolutely excruciating pain. Just he's yeah. squeezing his hand into the wrong shape and shoving it through Huff. Uh, again, we, 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 it sold. sounds awful. Nope, 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 no. So, he heads over to the cabinet, gets a hacksaw. His heart leaps with excitement. I love that line. For some reason, that made me giggle. <laughs> like, because it's so wholesome and pure. And like, in the scenario, it doesn't fit at all. My heart leapt with excitement. It's just, <laughs> maybe it's just me. I don't fucking know. But he goes back basically to where he was. And he's, you know, he, he starts trying to slice at the chain to snap off the last little chunk that he needs to, to get his hands free. However, he still has the manacles on. So he does try quickly as he stands up, he tries to use some magic, but he still has the, he still has the cuffs on one wrist. So he's not able to use any magic. He can't call up his power, but he is able to toss the hacksaw to Rollins and he throws himself to the side. Darby takes a crack at him with his gun. Mm-hmm. But he keeps his head down and tries to, you know, basically move around old truck and sigh. You know, just, just stay basically in cover at this point. While he's doing that, Rollins is hacking away with, with the saw. He's not literally hacking. He's hacksawing. But there's a fun play on words in my head. Uh, with the uh, handcuffs. Sure. And... Harry reaches into the truck and just tries to find something. And he basically finds a bottle and hucks it at the work lamp. The one solitary source of illumination in the garage. And he destroys it. And he has a very, another very cool trick where he's been here before. So he remembers the rough outline of the garage and Lashiel also has been looking around this place for a good half hour. And so they have together a pretty good idea of the layout of the garage. And so in his brain, he basically gets a map of the garage, mm-hmm. which is a really cool, interesting idea. And one of those that's kind of the opposite. I think it'd be really hard to show cinematically. Yeah. Um, you go first person, I guess. But like, he can see the shape, but he can't see anything moving, right? 
anything that's out of place from the last time he saw it, which I love that kind of description and, and the, the conversation there. But he kind of feels around one of the cooler tricks that Lashiel's done so far. I think this is far cooler than the hand mutilation. Yeah. Way cooler. Uh, yeah, certainly less gross. And Harry, you know, finds Rollins hacking away and he comes up and uses his hammer to break the lock and give him a little bit of a speed boost on getting out of the handcuffs. I do like when he gets up to him and Rollins kind of jumps Mm-hmm. Uh, like me and Lizzie were talking about the last couple of weeks, like when someone startles you, like, oh, yeah, we have very strong startle reflexes, exactly. But he's he uses the claw hammer, gets him out of the cuffs, mm-hmm. and they instead of heading towards the standard door exit, like a bunch of schmucks, they head to the outside where we've seen Harry crawl under the wall before, assisted by some lupine theriomorphs. And he sends Rollins under the wall. This is, it turns out, the same place that we were, that Harry was keep taken captive uh, in Full Moon. This is the old Full Moon garage. So Harry's method of extraction that time was to sneak under the wall and we find the same hole. He sends Rollins under there. And this has to be miserable. Oh, yeah. Because his arm, arm hurts, you know, the stitches are busted. He's bleeding out his arm. His leg's been shot and he's got to pull himself through this hole in the dirt. Just absolutely no, 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 thank you. Better than being shot in the head. Oh, sure. Probably. Who knows? But Rollins is a trooper was my whole point. Definitely. And Lissy, for some reason, disagrees that Rollins is a trooper. So all the hate mail can go to. That is not true, butthead. I'm just, that's just what it sounded like. I'm just. All I can do is, I'm a simple man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Harry tries to follow, or rather, Glau gets a hold of Rollins just before he's finished making his egress here. And so Harry blasts Glau with the hammer, which I love. Just anything to hit the guy with, who almost killed Mouse with a hammer, spoiler alert, is fun. And I think we should all revel in this moment where Glau gets blasted with a hammer. Mm. It's my second favorite Glau moment of this chunk. It's my favorite that doesn't involve his head bouncing towards our heroes. He lets go of Rollins. Rollins sneaks through. Harry tries to shuffle after him and Rollins helps pull him through and they are sort of safe in the alley behind the full moon garage and then they realize that Darby could just go around the outside of the building and did. And so Darby's standing there with a one of those gun thingies, and all is looking bad again. Glau slips underneath the hole as well, the wall, and he pulls out some sort of weird curved blade, like an arak. That's how I think of it. And he's coming after him. Darby's kicking and tripping and being a douchebad as Darby's tend to be, and he's holding the gun on him. And Crane snarls furiously. I warned you to behave, wizard. You've just killed this man. And poor Rollins. Poor, poor Rollins. I guess that's the end. Never. What do you got? A dark figure stepped out of the deep shadows behind the stacks of tires and pointed a sawed-off shotgun at Glau and said, 
Howdy. And at this <laughs> at this point, I texted Josh that my two favorite wielders of sawed-off shotguns are now this individual, happens to be Thomas, and Omar from The Wire. Thomas stepped out into the wan light of a distant street lamp, dressed all in loose black clothing, including my leather duster, which fell all the way to his ankles. His hair was ragged and wind-tossed. His gray eyes were cold as he worked the action on the shotgun, ejecting the one spent shell and levering a fresh one into the chamber. The barrel of the shotgun snapped to Crane. Son of a bitch. Now I knew who'd been following me around town. Yay! You, Crane said in a hollow-sounding voice, staring at Thomas. Me, Thomas agreed. Insouciant cheer thick in his voice. Lose the gun, Madrigal. So now we know who Crane really is. It is Madrigal, Thomas's cousin, who had been referenced prior. So he is, in fact, a vampire. And Murphy was right. Murphy asked if he was a vampire. And ding, 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 she gets the air horn. <laughs> so Crane drops the gun. And Harry picks it up. His hand isn't quite working right, but he sees that there is a full six rounds in said revolver. And Very fastidious of him. He he because he did shoot Rollins and then he reloaded a bullet. Well, probably while he's on the phone. Um <laughs> something to do with his hands, yeah. Between the pain of his recent injuries, he checks on Rollins. Between the pain of his recent injuries and the strain of our fight, our flight and recapture, the big cop did not look well. Isn't bad, he said quietly. Just hurts. Tired. Sit tight. We'll get you out of here. And so Thomas reintroduces Darby to Harry as Madrigal Wraith. I knew he didn't look like a Darby. Wasn't that a movie with Janet Monroe and Sean Connery? Thought so, Thomas said. I just love their interactions. Maybe it was a trick of light, but Madrigal looked paler now. His features almost eerily fine. Or maybe that now that Thomas had identified him as the, a white court vampire, I could correctly interpret the warnings my instincts had shrieked at me during our first talk. There was little but contempt in Madrigal, Madrigal's eyes as he stared at my brother. You have no idea what you're getting yourself involved with, cuz I will not surrender this prize to you. Oh, but you will. <laughs> Don't push me, little cuz. I'll make you regret it. You couldn't make water run downhill. Walk away while you still can. Don't be stupid. Do you know what kind of money's he's, money he's worth? Is it the kind that spends in hell? Because if you keep this up, you will need it. You'd kill family in cold blood, Thomas? You? Be you haven't put it together yet, Madrigal. I'm banished, remember? You aren't. Family. You're bluffing. Thomas looks at me, a quality of inquiry in his expression, and said, Thinks I'm bluffing. Make sure he can talk, I said. Cool, Thomas said, and shot Madrigal in the feet. So he's screaming, obviously, clutching at the gory ruins of his ankles and feet. Blood, a few pale, a, a few shades too pale to be humans, spattered the gravel. Touché, grunted Rollins in a certain satisfaction in his tone. It took Madrigal a while to control himself and find his voice. You're dead. You gutless little swine, you're dead. Uncle will kill you for this. I doubt my father cares. He wouldn't mind losing a nephew, particularly not one who has been consorting with scum like House Malvora. Aha! Now I get it. He's like them. A phobophage. He feeds on fear the way you feed on lust. Yes, a lot of the Malvora do. 
You should try it some night, cuz. It's sick, mad. There was almost a ghostly sense of pity in his tone, so subtle that I would not have seen it before living with him. Hell, I doubt he realized it was there himself. It's sick, and it's made you sick. And then he talks shit on Justine. Which is not a very smart thing to do, good sir. <laughs> without warning, without a flicker of expression on Thomas's face, the shotgun roared again, and the blast took Madrigal across the knees. More too pale blood spattered the gravel. Holy crap. Thomas planted his boot on Madrigal's neck, his expression cold and calm, but for the glittering rage in his eyes. He pumped the next shell in and held the shotgun in one hand, shoving the barrel against Madrigal's cheekbone. Never, ever speak of Justine. Madrigal said nothing, but my instinct screamed again. Something in the way he held himself, something in his eyes, told me he was just acting. He'd maneuvered the conversation to Justine deliberately. He was playing on Thomas's feelings for Justine. And then Glau runs. It's charging for the van. He shot across the parking lot in a full sprint, running for the van, 50 feet away. He ran in utter silence without the crunch of gravel or the creak of shoes. And for a second, I thought I saw maybe an inch and a half of space between where he planted his feet, his running feet in the ground. He tells Thomas and Thomas is relaxed. <clears throat> I heard the scribble of claws on gravel and then mouse shot out of the shadows that had hidden Thomas. And I cheered. I did cheer. And uh, mouse is running after Glau. He flashed by me in what for him was a relaxed gait. <laughs> And he's, I thought I saw something forming around the great dog's four quarters. Tiny flickers of pale colors, almost like St. Elmo's fire. So mice is, Mouse is mighty mousing it. And I saw Glau's expression <laughs> reflected in the van's windshield, his two wide eyes goggling in surprise. Then Mouse slammed his chest and shoulder into Glau's back like a living battering ram. The force of the impact took Glau's balance completely and sent the man into a vicious impact with the van's dented front bumper. Glau hit hard, hard enough that I heard bones breaking from 50 feet away and his head whiplashed down onto the hood and rebounded with neck-breaking force. Glau bounced off the front bumper and hood and landed in a limp, boneless pile on the ground. Holy shnikes. Mouse sniffed and then let out a sneeze that might almost have been actual words. So there. Then Mouse starts walking towards him, favoring one leg with his proud canine grin. My dog was all right. Maybe my eyes missed it up a little. Who's didn't? I dropped to one knee and slid an arm around the mutt's neck. Good dog. My, I made sure my eyes were clear, then looked up to find Madrigal staring at the dog in shock and fear. That isn't a dog, the vampire whispered. But he'll do anything for a Scooby snack. Spill it, Madrigal. What are you doing, town? Are you involved in the attacks? And so we learn that he's not involved in the attacks, but he says he wasn't involved in the attacks, but that it's the timing. It's all in the timing. He'd been scheduled to be there a year ago. He said, I thought them and the horror, empty night, so sweet, all those souls. Creepy vampire psychic train, answer the questions. And he said he's fed very well, tonight particularly. But you have my word, wizard, that whatever these creatures are, they're none of my doing. I was merely a spectator. If that's true, then why the hell did you grab me and bring me here? For gain. And for enjoyment, I don't let any buck talk to me as you did. Since I'd planned on reply replying to your arrogance anyway, I thought I might as well turn a profit on it at the same time. So Harry 
puts on his amulet, bracelet, and ring, gets out of the, the, the other manacle. Bob is still in the bag. And he said, no, it wasn't a coincidence that you're there, mag- magical. But I don't think it was a coincidence. I think you're there for, you were there for a reason. Maybe one you didn't know. You're high profile. You're known to feed on fear. You're at war with the White Council. Two and two make four. Four and four make eight. I glanced up at Thomas and said, whoever it is behind the phage attacks, they wanted me to think that Darby here was, was it. Madrigal's supposed to take the fall. Madrigal's face turned even whiter. What do you... He didn't get to finish the question. Glau screamed. He screamed in pure, shrieking terror, his voice pitched as high as a woman's. Everyone turned in surprise, and we were in time to see something haul the ground, haul the wounded Glau out of sight on the other side of the van. Red sprayed into the air. A piece of him, probably an arm or a leg, flew out from behind the van and tumbled for several paces before falling heavily to the earth. Glau's voice abruptly went silent. Something arched up from behind the van and landed, rolling. It bumped over the gravel and came to a stop. Glau's head. It had been physically ripped from his body, the flesh and bone torn and wrenched apart by main strength. His face was stretched into a scream, showing his shark-like teeth, and his eyes were glazed and frozen. That, and that's my favorite part with Glau. Yeah, I mean, but what a great description because you can see it. You can see the dead eyes and just the head just there. Oh, yeah. No, thank you. And then this creature rises up 10 or 11 feet in height. It was dressed all in rags like some kind of enormous hobo and was unhumanly slender. His head was a bulbous thing. And it took me a second to realize it as a jack-o'-lantern, as a pumpkin carved with evil eyes like a jack-o'-lantern's. Those eyes glowed with sullen red flame and flashed intensely for a moment as it spied on us. Then it took a long step over the hood of the van and came at us with strides that looked slow, but ate up yards with every step. Good God, Rowlands breathed. Mouse snarled. Harry? Another phage in a horror movie costume. The scarecrow this time, I murmured. I'll handle it. He called up Hellfire once more, until he felt it like his skin was about to fly apart. I gathered up an energy for a strike more deadly than I had used earlier in the night. Then I cried out and unleashed my will against the creature, hitting it as hard as I possibly could. The resulting cannonball of blazing force struck the scarecrow head on while I was 20 feet away, exploding into a column of searing red flame, an inferno of heat and light that went off with enough force to throw the thing halfway across Lake Michigan. Imagine my surprise when the scarecrow stepped through my spell as if it had not existed. Holy fucking shit. Then it grabs Harry, hand around its throat. I realized that this phage was stronger than the little one I'd beaten at the hotel. This creature was far older, larger, stronger, and more dangerous. My vision darkened to a star-spangled tunnel as the scarecrow wrapped its other hand around my left thigh lifted me up to the horizontal over its head, and started to rip me in half. I do like the star-spangled tunnel phrasing. Yeah. Hurry! Thomas shouted. I heard a rasp of steel and saw Thomas draw an old U.S. cavalry saber from inside my duster. He tossed the shotgun to the wounded Rollins and rushed forward. I love everything about that. And... It's the saber from The Hunt. Oh, interesting. No, I feel like he had it. No, because he had the Kukri before, right? He had something else. This is a Civil War saber. Remember the Civil War ghosts? Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think that. Maybe. That was just a thought. Were any of those 
had some of them had to have been scooped up in the hunt, right? Yeah. That's funny. Sorry, just a thought. No, I dig it. Mouse be him there. I love that too. Uh, Mouse is attacking the scarecrow, so he's got to release Harry's leg so he can, you know, swing an arm at the dog. Mouse gets batted around a little bit more, but we've seen Mouse do Mouse take worse earlier in this chunk, so he's gonna be okay. Because of the distraction, Thomas is now flying in, swinging the sword, slices off the hair crow, the hair crow, the scarecrow's hand, the hair crow's scanned, slices off the hair crow's scanned from its arm, meaning he drops Harry. As he falls, he rolls away, but he's still got these like vine, finger-like vines wrapped around his neck. And so Rollins finally does something here, Jesus, Henry, and he starts blasting the scarecrow with the shotgun. They don't really hurt him, but they do. Oh my God, this is, I need this ad to go away. Sorry, they stuck this ad that is on my screen right now and I can't close or minimize has someone sticking spaghetti, uncooked spaghetti through pieces of hot dog. Oh, and then they put that in boiling water. Gross. And then you have hot dog spaghetti piece. I, I, it ruined my day, so now it ruins all of your day, too. I'm not a snob by any means, but come on. The shotgun blasts don't actually hurt the Scarecrow. They certainly slow it down because, you know, phys- physics. Harry, with some quick thinking, draws a circle around himself and empowers it. That cuts off power to the Scarecrow's severed hand, which I love. Again, every part of this scene between starting with Thomas throwing the shotgun to Rollins, getting out the sword, the dog running in, getting knocked away, Thomas launching in, the shotgun blasts, the severed hand choking Harry as he tries to run away. Like, just a really, really cool scene. Once the circle goes up, the hand basically turns into ectoplasm immediately because there's no way to pump power into it, and it goes away. Crow still does have a stump and... A whole lot of mass behind him. He turns to try to smash Rollins with said stump. Thomas gets involved and something funky happens as they're trying to fight it here. The Scarecrow sees Madrigal and reacts. We haven't really seen it react to anyone. I mean, obviously, Blau was the first thing they came across, but... It grabbed Harry because Harry was the closest and the one trying to fight. Yeah. And then Mouse was trying to fight it, so it hit Mouse. And then Thomas was trying to fight it, so it swung at Thomas. And then Rollins was trying to fight it, so it went after to Rollins. But through all of this, it was just, you know, things in front of it. But here we see it sees Madrigal, and it kind of loses its mind. Its eyes flare, and it's you know, gets excited to try to fight him in particular. At least that's certainly what it seems like. His eyes you know, blazed into painfully bright flames. Exactly. And so they, you know, Hadrigal obviously throws anyone down who's between him and safety. And they end up hopping in the van and rushing away with the scarecrow still chasing after him. Catches him, sort of. And uh, throw things at the shield. He's hammering into the shield. Yeah, I mean, he puts up a shield. His fuego's not really doing a whole lot. He's throwing basically, you know, anything in the car he can to throw at the scarecrow. They can't, literally can't get rid of this guy. They can't drive away fast enough. Harry, none of Harry's magic really works. They finally get him to slip on some ice, which is just a funny way it's to win a fight. Well, it's great. It's just like, so again, like not what you'd expect here. 
but it slips on the ice. They basically been just kind of literally throwing everything, including the kitchen sink, everything that's inside the van they can get. They're hucking at this dude. And great line from Thomas there that, you know, sorry, it took me a second longer to get to you because I grabbed Rollins. I grabbed Rollins. I figured you'd have told me to get him out anyway, which is cute and lovely. And Harry mentioned that he had already figured it out himself, but he confirms with Thomas that Thomas had been our tail following him around town. He wanted to help him out. We kind of find out why he wanted to help him out. You know, Harry mentions that you look good tonight. I always look good. You know what I mean? Better, stronger, faster. Like the $6 million man. Stop joking, Thomas. You used a lot of energy tonight. You're feeding again. Face blank. You want to talk about it? He ignored me. (laughs) How long have you been acting? Since last Halloween. And it turns out, in the kerfuffle around the necromancers, we know that the wild hunt was out and about. And if the wild hunt catches you, or if the wild hunt comes after you, rather, you have three options. To run, to join, or die. And he chose to join the hunt. And basically, it kind of re-unlocked the predator status inside of him. Mm-hmm. And you know, as he said, he's a predator, a killer. Part of me wanted to. Part of me had a damn good time. I don't like that part of me much, but it's still there. I don't remember very much of it. I let you down that night. I let myself down that night. So I figured this time I'd try to help you out. So, you know, again, Harry notices he has a car and presumably a job and he's been feeding, which is something he was trying to get away from for the last couple novels. He doesn't get super in depth at all. And they basically just kind of put a pin in that part of the conversation, which I really like because it shows a lot of trust from Harry in his brother, right? I mean, where's the phrasing where he says like an uncharitable sort of person would have gotten suspicious and, you know, that he could be using, doing something illegal or immoral. He's an incubus. He could be using, uh, seducing a wealthy woman or basically could be doing a whole lot of things that none of them super healthy, positive or spectacular, but Harry's not one of those uncharitable guys. I like that a lot. That just that level of trust showing Harry's progression as a person and his relationship with Thomas. Thomas is a monster and Harry trusts him to be doing the right thing, even though he knows something's up. Again, I just really like that. But um, he, he trusts him regularly. He shows his trust in him. Oh, absolutely. But this is like he has evidence and reason to not trust him. Mm-hmm. And he still leans into the trust and moves on to the next thought. But that's just kind of also how our Harry. Absolutely. I just love it. We learned that Glau was a Jan, which is the scion of a Jinn and a mortal. Good description of how he came to be where Glau worked for Madrigal's father. And then Thomas's father, the White King, arranged to have Madrigal's father go skydiving naked, which presumably did not end well for Madrigal's papa. I'm guessing. You know, Harry deduces that the Phobophage went for the basically unconscious, undangerous Glau first, mm-hmm. which suggests that maybe it was sent for him in particular. Again, it gets very muddy here who and why things are happening. I think maybe Madrigal was kind of the patsy here. You know, maybe Glau was throwing Madrigal under the bus. Maybe Glau is the... It's it's all very confusing still. We don't really have a whole lot of answers, especially if we take Madrigal at face value. 
that he wasn't there for this scrap. Like he was there for the horror movie convention in his guise as Darby Crane, which makes sense, right? We found out kind of about the porn empire of the incubi. It makes sense then that there would be kind of a horror empire from these phobophage types. Very, very, very much so. They decide to go to the hospital first to drop off Rollins, and then they have to chase down, and then they have to track down the phages that Harry sent after the summoner or the beacon earlier. So they go back to the hospital, you know, slow down and throw Rollins out the sliding door. And then they start to try a tracking spell to figure out where the phages went. And it shows itself kind of as a pale green vapor, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Again, we've seen a couple different types of these tracking spells. Usually it's just kind of the compass one, like last week, where it just kind of points them in a direction. We've seen the smell spell from Stormfront. Mm -hmm. And now this one with the vapor, just all different interesting ideas. They head out towards Wrigley up on the north side. He says starts to gnaw on him as the neighborhoods start looking familiar. And as it gets brighter and brighter and they get closer and closer, it gets more and more familiar. Yeah. And they get to a two-story white house, a charming place, somehow carrying off the look of suburbia despite being inside the third largest city in America. Green lawn despite the heat, white picket fence, children's toys in evidence. There were three large separate holes in that picket fence. Heavy footprints gouged the lawn. The minivan in the driveway had been crushed as if by a dropped wrecking ball. He couldn't be sure, but he thought he saw blood on the doorway. The decorative mailbox three feet from him read in cheerfully painted letters, The Carpenters. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. I'd sent the phages after Molly. So, Michael, funny story. (laughs) Right. So Harry's a little bit in shock, and Thomas asks, what is this place? It's Michael's house, his family home. Those things came here? I nodded. I felt so unsteady. I felt so damned tired. Whatever happened here, it was over. There was nothing I could do at this point except to see who had been hurt. I'll keep watch out here, circle the house, see if there's anything to be seen. Okay, I whispered. I swallowed and my stomach felt like I'd swallowed a pound of thumbtacks. He goes in the house and calls, hello. No one is there. A low sound, a all-white noise, a faint interference fills the room with the picture. Sorry, with the TV screen on its side and a warbling, with a warbling static picture. And Thomas calls him from the backyard. They go outside and Thomas is climbing down from the treehouse carrying Daniel. He was breathing but looked pale. He was wearing flannel pajama pants and a white t-shirt soaked with blood. There was a cut on his arm, not too deep but very messy. He had bruises on his face, on one arm, on the knuckles, on both of his hands. Sorry, and the the knuckles on both of his hands were torn and ragged. Michael's son had been throwing punches. It hadn't done him any good, but he'd fought. Which sounds a lot like... Other people mm. we know in this series, right? Like, it's not going to do you any good, but he's going to fight. fight anyway. I do love. Yeah. So he tries to kind of get Daniel's attention, saying it's Harry Dresden. Dr- Dresden? Yeah, your, fu- your dad's friend, Harry. Harry? Molly, easy, easy. You're hurt. We don't know how bad yet. Can't. They took her. We were. His mom okay? Are the little ones okay? I don't know. Do you know where they are? 
Panic room. What? Second floor. Safe room. Dad built it, just in case. Where is it? Mom had the little ones upstairs. Molly and me couldn't get to the stairs. They were there. We tried to lead them away. Who, Daniel? They who? The movie monster. Reaper. Hammerhead. He shuddered. Scarecrow. Thomas, stay with him. Mouse, keep watch. He want, He goes into the house and there's... Goes upstairs and the rooms are... Some of the rooms are destroyed. If I hadn't been looking for it, I wouldn't have noticed the extra space between the linen closet and the master bedroom. I checked the closet in the master bedroom and turned up nothing. Then I opened the door to the linen closet. I found the shelves completely disarranged, sheets and towels and blankets strewn. I hunkered down and held up my mother's amulet, peering closely, and then found a section of the back wall of the closet just slightly misaligned with the corner it met. I reached out and touched that part of the wall, closed my eyes, extending my senses through my fingertips. I felt power there. It wasn't a ward. At least it was unlike any ward I had ever encountered. It was more of a quiet hum of constant power and was similar to the power I'd felt stirring around Michael on several occasions. The power of faith. There was a form of magic protecting that panel. Lashio, I murmured quietly. You getting this? She did not appear, but her voice rolled through my thoughts. Yes, my host. Angelic work. Real angels? Aye. Raphael or one of his lieutenants. From the feel of it. Dangerous? There was an uncertain pause. It is possible. You are touched by more darkness than my own, but it is meant to conceal the room beyond, not to strike out an intruder. Okay. He knocks on the door a few times and hears motion. Charity, I called. It's Harry Dresden. This time the motion was definite. The panel clicked, then rolled smoothly to one side, and a double-barreled shotgun slid out, aimed right at my chin. I swallowed and looked down the barrel. Charity's cold blue eyes faced me from the other end of the gun. You might not be the real Dresden. Sure I am. Prove it. Charity, there's no time for this. You want me to show you my driver's license? Bleed, she said instead. It was a good point. Most of the things that could have played doppelganger did not have human plumbing or human blood. It wasn't an infallible test by any means, but it was as solid as any a non-wizard could use for verification. So I pulled out my penknife and cut my already mangled left hand just a little. I couldn't feel it in any case. I bled red and showed her. She stared at me for a long second and then eased the hammers on the shotgun back down, set the, side, set the weapon aside, and wriggled out of the space beyond the panel. I saw a candle lit back there. The rest of the carpenter children, Sans Molly, were inside. Alicia was sitting up, awake, her eyes worried. The rest were sacked out. Molly, she said when she gained her feet. Daniel. I found him hiding in the treehouse. He's hurt. How badly? Bruised up pretty good. Groggy, but I don't think he's in immediate danger. Mouse and a friend of mine are with him. And Molly? I haven't found her yet. Daniel might know what happened. Were they Denarians? She asked. Definitely not. Is it possible that they may return? It isn't likely. But possible? Yes. Then the next thing to do is take the children to the church. We'll make sure Daniel is cared for. I'll try to send word to Michael. Then we'll find Molly. Charity, wait. Charity thrust the heel of her hand firmly into my chest and pushed my shoulders back against the opposite wall. Her voice was quiet and very precise. My children are vulnerable. I'm taking them to safety. Help me or stand aside. Then she turned for me and began to bring began bringing her children out. And Harry grabs two of them. Harry and little Harry and Hope are on his hips. And her charity's expression flashed briefly with both worry and thanks. And I saw her control slip. Tears formed in her eyes. She closed them again, jaw clenched. And when she looked up, she had regained her composure. Thank you, she said. Let's move. So they head to the St. Mary's of the Angels. And Father Fort Hill is there.
Thomas doesn't come to the door and he says, I'm going to find someplace to park this just in case Madrigal decides to report it as stolen or something. Think he'll make trouble for us? Not face to face. He's more jackal than wolf. Look on the bright side, I said. Maybe the scarecrow turned around and got him. Keep dreaming. He's a greasy little rat, but he survives. I'll keep an eye on things from out here. Come on out when you're done. Thomas didn't want to go into the church because he wasn't optimistic that the Almighty and his institutions would smile on him. Like me, he favored maintaining a low profile with regards to matters temporal. He says, I knew how he felt. <laughs> he says, be careful. Call Murphy. Tell her what's up. You'd better get some rest soon, Harry. You don't look good. I never look good. Harry carries Daniel. Harry carry? Harry getting more. Daniel. This is getting more Chicago by the second. But he's put his, his jacket back on because he wanted the protection. Both, I think, probably both the psychological protection and the actual protection. So Fort, Fort Hill answers the door with his white clerical collar on, and they start moving them in. Fort Hill le leads them to the storage room that sometimes doubles as a refugee housing. And there are half a dozen folded cots against one wall and another one already opened, set out and occupied by a lump under a blanket. They put Daniel down first, and Fort Hill asks what happens. And he walks and tells Mouse to stay and keep an eye on the kids. He winds up in the chapel proper. The chapel proper. He says, I've been in smaller stadiums. Gleaming hardwood floors shine over the whole rank of the chapel. The whole of the chapel. Wooden pews stand in ranks, row upon row upon row, and the altar and nave are gorgeously decorated. It seats more than a thousand people, including the balcony at the rear of the chapel. And every Sunday, they still have to run eight masses in four different languages to fit everyone in. He talks about a quiet sense of power there that is deep and warm and reassuring. And peace. He sits and closes his eyes. Lashiel's voice says to him, It is beautiful here. And he doesn't say a word. I didn't tell her to get lost. I leaned my head back against the rear wall and closed my eyes. He wakes up when Fort Hill starts walking nearby. And he sits down a couple feet from the pew and asks what happened. It's all right, Fortell said quietly. If you wish to tell me, I'll speak of it to no one. Maybe I don't want to talk to you. Of course, but my offer stands should you wish to talk. Sometimes the only way to carry a heavy burden is to share it with another. It is your choice to make. Choices. Sometimes I thought it might be nice not to make any choices. If I never had one, I could never screw it up. There are things I don't sh care to share with a priest. So Fortell takes off his collar and pulls out a flask. Then share it with your bartender. Which is creative. Let's be honest. Oh, I love it. Again, uh, I, we, we talked a lot about Father Fort Hill. Mm -hmm. Was that last week? Yes. I yeah. No, a couple weeks ago, I think. I think it was last week. I mean, it was a long time ago, but whatever. <laughs> Either way. And it was, we hadn't read this part of the story. At least I hadn't. I mean, I'd read it before, obviously. But I love that, A, back-to-back -back weeks, Father Fort Hill coming into the clutch. Oh, okay. Um, of course. But B... Yeah, and we can talk about this in a in a moment, but I just I do love that. Like, how about to your bartender? It's just you know, like it's just such a he good. Just, he just pivots really, really well. Exactly, I love it. And Harry tells him that it's it's his fault. He sent those things right to her door. I never meant it to happen. Of course not. It doesn't make me feel any better about it, nor should it. But you must know that you are a man of power. How so? Power. All power is the same. Magic. Physical strength economic strength, political strength. It all serves a simple purpose. It gives its possessor a broad, broader spectrum of choices. It creates alternative courses of action. I guess. So? So, you have more choices, which means that you have much improved odds of making mistakes. 
You're only human. Once in a while, you're going to screw the pooch. I don't mind that when I'm the only one that pays for it. That isn't in your control. You cannot see all the outcomes. You couldn't have known that those creatures would go to the carpenter house. So, Daniel's hurt. Molly could be dead, but their condition was not yours to ordain. All power has its limits. Then what's the point? What good is it to have power enough to kill my friend's family, but not power enough to protect them? What the hell do you expect from me? I got to make these stupid choices. What the hell am I supposed to do with them? Sometimes, he replied, you just have to have faith. I laughed. It came out loud and bitter. Mocking echoes of it drifted through the vast chamber. Faith? In what? That things will unfold as they are meant to. That even in an immediate ugliness, the greater picture will resolve into something more beautiful. Show me. Show me something beautiful about this. Show me the silver fucking lining. There's a quote from the founder of my order. There is something holy, something divine, hidden in the most ordinary situations, and it is up to each one of you to discover it. What's that supposed to mean? That the good that will come is not always obvious, nor easy to see, nor in the place we would expect to find it, nor what we personally desire. You should consider that the good being created by the events this night may have nothing to do with the defeat of supernatural evils or endangered lives. It may be something very quiet, very ordinary. Like what? He finished off the little flask, then rose. He put it away and put his collar back on. I'm afraid I'm not the one you should ask. But I will say this. I've been on this earth a fair while, and one way or another this too shall pass. I have seen worse things reverse themselves. There is yet hope for, our, for Molly, Harry. We must strive to do our utmost and to act with wisdom and compassion. But we must also have faith that the things beyond our control are not beyond his. You almost make me want to believe, but I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if it's possible for me. Perhaps you should try to have faith that you might one day have faith. He says, Padre, you won't tell Charity. No, you aren't the only one too afraid to believe. <laughs> and then they hear footsteps and Alicia has walked in with Mouse by her side. Father, here, Fortale said. Come quick. Mama said to tell you, Daniel's awake. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, man. Yeah. So certainly a, a, a bit of a windy chunk, right? It, it very much is not contained like some of ours have been in the past. This mm -hmm. weaves its way through multiple locations multiple scenarios we get a uh, fake death of mouse the resurrection of mouse all the way through to this aftermath of the phages attacking the carpenter house right they indeed so first off your know, general thoughts on it good to get back to the novels yes it was it took me a little bit of time to process what we we're listening what we were doing where we were at and all of that gotcha yeah yeah uh, but i i you know we moved along in the store. I, I liked it. I like that we revisited the Full Moon Garage, too. I think that's funny. Yeah, it's that cool. Helped, and it, that helped the story. But it also makes sense because it's in the hood. It's in the same neighborhood that they frequent. You know, it's in the, it's in the area that's around where Harry lives and works and exists. But it also was good for the story. Things is like definitely a narrative crutch, almost, you know, using a location we've had before. So you don't have yeah. to, like, describe and create a new one. But he does a really good job explaining why and how that makes sense, which I Definitely. Liked. But let's go 
fat. I mean, we've really touched on it. But I just want to go, you know, kind of beat by beat here. Not beat by beat, because we just did the beat by beat. But the um, fight with a phage in the hotel. Obviously, we kind of hammered on the alien reference. Aliens, rather, references earlier. Uh-huh. Any other thoughts there? Um, I didn't have to break. I didn't have to burn the world down because Mouse survived. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I was serious. Like, I know it's sad that I get more upset about a critter dying than a person. But hey, you know what? I have strong feelings about Mouse. Mm-hmm. But his spell worked. But I, I do appreciate how it wasn't like, ah, oh, spell worked. Bing, bang, bing, bang, boom, done. Because you knew it wasn't going to be perfect. But I also like how it was how Murphy had to step in and take over because Green was off his rocker because of a head injury. There are a lot of head injuries in this book. Are. And I think that, again, goes to really kind of reinforce how off it a lot of Harry's thinking has has and should be taken, at least with a grain of salt throughout this as well, because that was one of the very first thing that happened in this novel was he got a concussion. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I love the fight. I loved all the references to aliens. I thought that was a lot of fun. Them getting caught by Darby and Glau was certainly predictable that those two jokers would cycle back around. Oh, yeah, 100%. But again, I love that ba- Murphy was right about him. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> He's certainly a wampire. I gave her that scene was good. You know, the, um, the eBay stuff was awesome. Oh my God, that was spectacular. But I also, I loved how Rollins was still there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rollins was still involved. Mentally as well as like, as a- Oh yeah. As a, and again, he actually was a big part of winning that battle and escaping because of his shotgun antics with the uh, Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't just like there and out of it. He was a big part of what, of their so far- Still, I want to say success because we're not winning yet, but our ability to stay in the fight here for sure. Yeah. Thomas coming to the rescue was great. Yes, of course. And the um, sawed off shotgun. Fantastic. Uh-huh. Exactly. And again, that he referenced that when he was moving out, he said, like, can I borrow this? Yeah. You know, he, he said he was going to hold on to the sawed off, which is just things coming, kind of coming full circle here is great. What do you think about the vampires that feed on fear? Obviously, you know, vampires themselves, incubuses and succub- incubi and succubi are things that have existed. But this is a little bit of a tweak on that. I like that there's a variation in it. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate it because it's the two ends of the spectrum, lust versus fear. And they're two different, very powerful emotions at different times, you know? They're magical. It's a le petit mort is the French uh, phrasing yeah. for uh, orgasms, which is kind of funny. The little death versus actual death comparison that Darby nay Madrigal make. Good stuff. I love everything with Lashiel always because I'm a Lashiel stan. I appreciate I appreciate kind of the development of that non-character because she's not really a character. She's a voice in, in Harry's head, but I still love it. And she's also not a fallen angel. She's a facsimile of a fallen angel who exactly. manifests herself as a voice in his head. It is actually really strange. It's very complex, like writing wise, it's a very complex characterization. And I love it. He does it so well. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is brilliant. And again, like I said, he's one of my favorite characters in this section. <laughs> like, like right now is this fucking non-character as you described her. Darby 
Full Moon Garage. I don't know. Anything else in there? Dog. I was right. House isn't a dog. What do you mean? Uh, when, what's his face? Where is it? Magical says, Harry says, let me, let me see that. When Mouse runs and he's like, the uh, St. almost fire around him and he comes back to Harry and Harry says, good dog. Mouse's tail wagged proudly at me at the praise and he leaned against me. And Harry looks at Magical and Magical staring at the dog in shock and fear. That isn't a dog. <laughs> he's not. I mean, he's magical. I agree, Magical. The one thing I agree with Magical on. So, Matt, we're listening to Madrigal now. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, very cool. Very legal and very cool. What else? I love the fight with the Scarecrow. Just kind of Harry, Mouse, Thomas, and Rollins all kind of working together. Mm. I'm a sucker for those team-up movements. Moment. Yeah. I'm a sucker for those team-up moments, rather. You know, the circle shot on the camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In Avengers, that kind of thing. The horror as we get closer and closer to the Carpenters. And like, he doesn't spell it out for us. But if you've kind of been following the story, he always kind of describes the Carpenters as how he's been, you know, up by Wrigley in this you know charming little spot with the picket fence and stuff. And like, I really like that lead up. He specifically talks about how even in the heat, the grass is still green. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Almost like the house is protected by magic, by angels, by something. I just kind of liked that. So, so I'm trying to look up a quote here that may be from. Um, uh, it must be later. It must be later. Someone else talking about his grass. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we see the supernatural, the angels protecting, literally protecting his home there. And I actually really like, it's a subtle, you know, it's not subtle, but it's a kind of a throwaway where Harry's not sure if Michael's protections are going to affect him. Mm-hmm. And again, just like that, like baseline fear he has to deal with at his best friend's house because of his choices is just interesting and kind of tragic. Oh, you touched on it, so I'm going back in my uh, thing here, but mm-hmm. where Darby breaks the soul gaze. Yes, before the, it could he, happen. He breaks, he breaks the stair first. Yeah. Like, Harry could not be more helpless, and Darby's still afraid of him. <laughs> yeah. And it is Darby. Sorry, Magical. I like that Daniel gets to show, like, the same side of the coin as we saw earlier, right? Daniel, we, Daniel was kind of a douchebag when we first met him. Way back in, you know, first first yeah. chunk or so about just about Molly kind of running away and moving out and all that and how he had to kind of pick up the slack as the older kid. And he's under a lot of pressure. Clear. I don't think I think I at least decided it wasn't all his fault that he was a douchebag, but certainly wasn't covering himself in glory and coolness. And then the flip side of that, how much you know, that's because he's taken on this leadership role. And then we see that he was fighting, even though he couldn't, just to give his family a chance. I really like that he got that moment. And also, it shows you about who the Carpenters are, top to bottom, right? Uh, the one Daniel is that he is his father's child. Uh-huh. 
And this was very much, the more we find out about Molly, Molly is Charity's child. Mm-hmm. Daniel, yeah. Daniel is his father's child. That he, he fought for his family. He fought for good guys. And I just, I really, that was the one thing that I noticed. Okay, I dig that for sure. That's a great comparison too. Mm-hmm. Like, and you see that a lot. It's not always the same gender. There's a family in our program. Well, Alicia, Alicia where... is very much her father's child. What we've seen of her. Leech? Yeah. Okay, Alicia. that's fair. Yeah, no, there's a family in our program where, like, a crazy athletic, awesome family, top to bottom. But there were twins, and one was an elite Division One volleyball player. One was an elite D1 level water polo player. And the parents... The mom was a, volley- a water pole player. The dad was a volleyball player. And they were both like elite, phenomenal, top, top, top tier athletes. And their kids were twins. But the boy was the water pole player and the girl was the volleyball player. That's awesome. I just thought it was it was just kind of cute. And again, very successful, incredibly like brilliant family. Um, but it was just not super remarkable. Like you, you're allowed to follow after whatever parent or neither that you want. It was just funny like how much the son was the mother's kid and how much oh. uh, the daughter was the, was the father's. I love that. I love uh, that a lot. But yeah, very, very interesting stuff with the um, carpenter kids. Mm-hmm. I loved every moment of that Fort Hill conversation. I love father Fort Hill. Um, I think he's great. It's a thing I bring up all the time in whenever I can get away with it. Basically we referenced a, a priest in our life back when, who's been gone for many, many years. But we already, uh, we already talked about this. I know we did. Okay. Uh, this is, I'm referencing him again because ah. this is a direct quote. Okay. Um, when Forhill says, you know, well, I guess all we can do is have faith that one day we'll have faith. I should, one of the few things I remember from actually being in church, I mm-hmm. try not to do that as much as I can. Was that was Father Mould said, like, the best thing you can do is just be good. Yeah. The next best thing you can do is to want to be good. And yes. the next best thing is to want to want to be good. Yes. It's just something I remember vividly, like that, like Aww. degrees of doing the things the right way. Like it, it's okay to slip up, but like want to do better. And that's yeah. almost as good as doing better. It's not quite, you know, yeah. but like we can only do what we can. But it was just funny that we talked so much about Father Mullen last weekend or last week rather. And this is like a direct quote from him of like, if you can't do it, wanting to do it is like the next best thing. And then that'll hopefully get you over the line to actually doing it eventually. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was funny. Um, I like that a lot though. But um, yeah, it's a great quote on its own for sure. But yeah, beyond that, I kind of rushed through the analysis. We're a little rusty on how we do this. We did a lot of analysis as we went. We did. Um, and I also may or may not have practice in 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> Do you, uh, anything else analysis wise, or do you want to hop into some yikes and beyond? Um, I really have any, I did. I mean, I really do appreciate Thomas telling Harry he's joined, he joined the hunt. And I really think that's where he got the sword from. Oh, I, uh, that's great. I, I did not put that together and I, I really hope that's true. And in my mind, it now is period right? done. <laughs> I like the panic room a lot. Yeah, and it's very appropriate. Just also because it's not just mundane, right? There are some angelic protections in and around it, which is really cool and, and makes sense, obviously. Mm-hmm. 
the big guy owes Michael a solid or three as well, right? <laughs> I didn't have anything on Yikesy for me. I don't know if you picked up on anything. No, I did not. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, then, um, spin the wheel. I think that lands on uh, quotes of the week. Quotes of the week. I do not have a lot this week. I believe I only have two. Oh, wow. We broke Lissy, folks. Actually, I lied. I have three. <laughs> okay, she's got nine. No, only three. You're siphoning my mo- my noble hero vibe. I told him, cease and desist, or I'll sue. <laughs> I like that even, you know, again, we're back to where it's the... That they're in a horrible place. They're in a horrible situation. And Harry's still joking. It's yeah, that- I'm going to... Even on top of that, like, Rollins... So the line before that I have written down as well. Bull, if you can get out, you should go. Once he gets what he's what he wants, he's going to kill me anyway. Don't stay on my account. Like, Rollins big upping here and being like the tough guy hero. And then Harry making a joke of it. Like, both of those I love. Oh, yeah. Um, and well, and, cool and I, I like that Holland's kinda, Rollins kind of has that sense of humor, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what... One of the things, the points of connection that he and Harry have is that they do truly have a similar sense of honor, a sense of pride, and a sense of a, a sense of humor, a really dark sense of humor. The entire, it, it, like, their entire relationship, such as we've seen it, is them riffing like this, both being great at their job and Rollins yeah. always being a great cop and a hero. Yeah. But also just kind of like this casual back and forth. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It's a very big part of who they are. Mm-hmm. But I just love seeing it in that moment because it really is, you know, an opportunity to pee your pants and just like panic. And yeah. now Roll- Rollins isn't doing that, which is no, great. No. And I wouldn't expect him to. Oh, of course. Everything of course. we've heard about him is very much. He is. Like you said, he's a good cop. But he's also a good dude. He's a good dude, I think, is how I would phrase it first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I really, I really do. I really do like him. My next one is uh, from Lashio. There are too many blondes in your life, my host. I fear I would be lost in the press. <laughs> I think that's hilarious because Lashio wants her attention too. She's out more than anything. Get Again, it, girl. Get it. Uh, why did she fall? Because she needs her attention and <laughs> I think in the first bad. place. Right? Yeah. yeah. No, that is great. Um, oh, and then the last is. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of trauma, I will fear no concussion. (laughs) (laughs) I do love Uh, it. Does it require a reference to Giles? I don't. (laughs) Head wounds. Um, Go through some of these I've deleted. I did like the, uh, I never meant it to happen. Of course not. Doesn't make me feel any better about it. Nor should it. Right? Like this idea that like it wasn't Harry's. I mean, it was kind of definitionally Harry's fault per se. Mm-hmm. But like, like the, again, Fornhill just like understanding here. Like, well, you didn't mean it, of course not. Well, that doesn't make me feel any better. Of course not. <laughs> you should feel like shit because you you know you care about these people. Yeah. But like, it, obviously, you didn't do it on purpose. You know, like, and yeah. those are different things, right? Like, being someone who made a mistake and hurt people sucks. But yeah. like, it's also important to know that you didn't do it on purpose and that doesn't excuse you. It doesn't, you know, assuage your guilt, mm-hmm. but it is an important distinction, right? Like, I don't know. I think that matters. Yeah. 
So I really like that line there. I've never seen this movie. Let me find out. Somebody found it for me. The movie with the le- with with Sean Connery and the Leprechaun, which is the 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 movie that Harry references as the only one, the only time, the only Darby he's ever known. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure it was Brandon. Yes, it was Brandon on Facebook. Apparently, it's Darby O'Gill and the Little People, which is a Sean Connery horror comedy leprechaun movie from like the 1950s which makes it just a, a far funnier reference because it's so obscure yeah um, 100% <laughs> which I love but the uh, line where I knew he didn't look like a Darby wasn't that the movie with Janet Monroe mm-hmm. <laughs> such an absurdist line but it references another absurdist line earlier in the novel yeah. that I, I just love the connection there. Well, but um, the thing is, it's that's part of their bond, you know, and I love them again. Yeah, just just deep album garbage uh, oh, yeah. is, was is great. And then uh, I'm going to say this wrong. I'm sure. Where's the line here? He's talking about the eBay so, auction. And he says, oh, and I'd wind up enjoying some kind of Torquemada S vacation with Whichever fiend had the most money and the least lag, which just the the fiend with the most money and the least lag is a funny yeah. eBay reference. But Torquemada is the first inquisitor of the group that you never suspect, the Spanish Inquisition. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but that's the reference there, which is just uh, <laughs> again, I I don't know, I love shit like that. I thought that was funny, but that those are mine. And when his vision darkens to a star-spangled tunnel. Oh, I'll be Lissy this week. That is one cast-iron bitch. Cast-iron. Hell of a cop. Eh. Problem with cast-iron. Brittle. Hit it right, and it shatters. This isn't going to go well for her. Just Rollins and Harry discussing Murphy going out of her way, basically, to find trouble to pick up kind of the leadership role Mm -hmm. with Green and... What's his name? Injured, right? Yeah. So, Rick. um, Rick. So, which it shows she is a hell of a cop, but also she's buying trouble here um, by just acknowledging that she could be in charge to the suits, right? Either way, a good chunk. Like I said, it's a little bit disjointed, not as a bad writing, but as just our, we happen to be looking in at a disjointed chunk as opposed to, I jo- I've joked in the past about maybe Butcher just writes in six chapter chunks because it's been <laughs> so, it's it has really been so great and free flowing that we usually start and end in like kind of coherent spots. And this yeah. week it just wasn't on our end just because of us, not because of anything he did. It jumped around a little bit, still like a, telling a coherent tale and focusing on the same people, but just where it starts and ends is kind of funky. But Excited to hear what Daniel has to say next. Hmm. Um, Maybe you have thoughts on that. Maybe you have thoughts on other things. I'm sitting here staring at a lake. And if there's one thing I know, staring at a lake, it's that I demand crackpot. Crackpot theory. Well, we already know that Mouse is not a dog. No one's a dog. 
<laughs> Harry's not a dog. Molly's not a dog. The only one who's a dog is Mister. Mm, Mister might be a dog. That's true. <laughs> I mean, hell, that would be one hell of a twist. I don't think he's a cat. Um, <laughs> so carry on. Shit comes up and it's just like, okay, is he fucking with me? He doesn't even, <laughs> even know I'm supposed to having a, be having a crackpot theory when he wrote these. Is he? Oh, just he might be. With me? He, he might be swimming against the currents of time himself, Mister Butcher. Go. Maybe he, maybe he is. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, again, I'm going back to Molly. Molly has some sort of supernatural, magical shit. There's mm-hmm. got to be something more, something deeper within that, because either she is her own supernatural, magical self, or she has a much deeper connection than we have experienced so far. Uh-huh. Um, I should have a question on that after you finish this thought. Sorry. But that's 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 gonna be the big one. I'm going back to Molly. Molly's Molly's got something. Molly's got something going because why did they come there? I don't think she called them. My question. So, like Harry's mentioned, every time he's talked about the summoner or the beacon. So you think she's the beacon, not the summoner, is my thought there, yeah. I think she is a beacon, or I think that the beacon summoner has some sort well, of connection different things right the summoner is the person making it happen the well the beacon, beacon or like the summer the beacon the flashing or the summer. light that they're yeah but i think attaching. they either she is the beacon i don't think she is a summoner or they have some connection to her k into the sun k. okay 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 she's got some sort of connection in there she's wrapped in somehow i yeah, don't no, yet know she, how but she's wrapped it is in also somehow. interesting that harry also i mean i guess we could have touched on this like why does he think he sent him at Molly, right? Like he gets to the home and says, I sent them at Molly, right? I mean, there's 716 people that live there by inclu- including a knight of the goddamn cross, presumably. Yeah, but no, I think, I think she, I think there's more. But he, yeah, no, he, he made the same leap that you did. Yeah. I'm just wondering why you both did. I think it's because of her involvement at, Splatter con exclamation point exclamation point exclamation point. I was just going to say exclamation if you have <laughs> I was getting ready to correct you with the exclamation point. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. <laughs> but I think that's what it is because uh with the whole the you know boyfriend showing up to St. Mary's because he's being followed, calling Harry because he's being followed, he's freaking out because he's being followed. She has the same kind of she's somehow connected to all of that. I don't think she is sending anything after him, but I think that she has some connection there because of all of the levels that we have her involvement with. Yeah, no, for sure. I was, it was just interesting how quickly he jumped there. And again, we, we see him do this where he, like stuff clunks together in his head before he spells it out for us. So interesting to see what that was about. Beyond that, it is not, currently raining yeah just i didn't know that was a thing i didn't know they had not raining up here don't worry i'm getting on the road interesting place i'm enjoying the northwest such as it is i still live not at home i live at someone else's home although they're not here so i still live by myself in this cavernous kitchen in which i'm recording and creating echoes it looks like we were okay on last week's episode for some reason it wasn't showing up properly but we do have a standard amount of downloads here. Beyond that, guys, I uh, think that about does it. Like I said, you may be listening to this on the wrong day. I've been saying that a lot lately because I've been on the move a lot lately. 
but I'm just about done. Um, unfortunately, Friday is my general day that has been sacrificed to the podcast editing gods every day for the last few months. I'm moving again, finally, hopefully being done with moving. Go, oh, you're moving, Josh. Like nobody has any sympathy for me anymore. But this is the last time, hopefully, I'm moving into my apartment, which I have a lease. Somebody's got a lease. So hopefully I'll be done with this relatively soon. But I am uh, moving on Friday. So there may be a chance that we don't get this out quite on time, but we'll get there in the very near future. And um, yeah, I appreciate you guys bearing with us and bearing, bearing with the echo we have going on in this kitchen. I can hear it myself. There's just not a whole lot I can do about it, unfortunately. They, I don't think my apartment will be big or cool enough to have echoes. So we'll be okay on that front. But yeah, beyond that, hit us up. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. You got anything else for us, Liz, on our way out the door? Do not at this moment. Uh, what chapters are we doing next week, sir? We're going to do the next six. Keep it. Keep it easy, breezy, beautiful. We're going to 31 to 36. 31 through 36. Lissy is so good at math. That's why we keep her around the podcast. <laughs> I'm a mathologist. She is a mathologist. Sure that. Hit us up on all the things. We try to get back to you as quickly and promptly as we can. Again, we've got all sorts of stuffs. Um, and we head into the holidays. Life is life. But I'm just so delighted you guys have stuck with us. We are... Um, Creeping up on 10,000 downloads. We're uh, just living the absolute dream over here. So really appreciate y'all. And patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. Patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. You can sign up for free over there and that'll keep you updated on stuffs. You know, whenever I have a problem with getting things out on time or whenever I have fun texts from Lissy as she's reading along the story and I want to make fun of her to the people that can giggle along with her torment. <laughs> Basically, we get to be Jim Butcher for moments at a time. Also, as torturing by the, uh, the exciting inner, you know, how it, how much people enjoyed those. I've said it before, <laughs> but there will be a couple Patreon only live action. <laughs> Not live live, but we're going to put a camera on Lissy when she reads certain chapters. And I'm really excited about that. Oh, maybe we should even do some like fake ones where we put a chap put a camera on her to read certain chapters. And then she's like, what? This was just a normal chapter. And then right in the belly. We'll see. I uh, no, I don't think about torturing my sister all the time. Why do you? <laughs> I appreciate you guys. Y'all have been wonderful. Keep up the interactions and questions and thoughts and existences. And life is good. I am a proud, if moist, resident of the Pacific Northwest. Lissy lives somewhere sort of in, she lives in Central California. We've talked about this. It's raining here today, too. Wow. Yeah. We're kindred spirits, I tell you what. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Anything on the way out the door, Liz? Thanks for listening, guys, and thanks for sharing it and making people listen. I love it. Make. Thanks for chaining people down, uh, putting a yeah. speaker next to their head. Heck just yeah. like Darby and Glau. <laughs> whatever it takes I appreciate you guys thank you so much I have been Josh and I am Alyssa podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault
sec. I'm heating up wine for my old That's spicy what, wine. I know you said. I don't have sachet. Sachet. Uh-huh. Sachet. Sachet. Well, I have none of those things. So I'm just going to pour it directly in and hope for the best. But yeah, I'm looking out at a cold lake. I want warm, spicy wine. Spiced. Because basically I'm Lord Commander of the Night's Watch up here. Okay. Did you join my, my thing on Adobe? Yeah. You did well, I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. I had to log in and all that bullshit. All right. I should be in there-ish. Oh, you're echoing. Yeah, because we're in both again, remember? Well, you have to mute me in... Done. Did it. I don't like how easy it was for you to mute me. It should be painful, you know? What? Oh, nothing. Nothing at all. You're still echoey, even though you're on mute. Well, I'm in a giant room uh, with, with echoes. Gotcha. It may or may not be an echoey thing today. Okay. Such as it is. I definitely can hear the echo and I have headphones on. So it's life's tough when you're the Lord Commander, Liz. Mm-hmm. Mom landed. Uh, she just took me. Oh, safe and sound, we win again.